We we get popped in Colorado for um, importing cocaine in children's books from Colombia. Are it, you doing like paste between pages? <gasps> Fuck yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so we go to pick up the package out of the PO box, and um, and next thing you know, there's a gun to the back of my head, and this woman was going, "Don't you get in that fucking car?" And I was like, "Whoa!" And so the fucking cops come in and they just line us up on the front lawn and make us all, you know, lay down with our hands, you know. And then, um, you know, and then we make the papers. And so when they kept asking me, what do you know about this? What do you know about this? And I was like, fucking nothing. I don't know, yeah, of course, you know, I don't know shit. Kids, when talking to the police, always say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Call my attorney. That's exactly right. There was a lot of heroin, a lot of speed, a lot of booze, a lot of like fucking everything. And then my son and I reunited and it was like fucking unbelievable. Like it felt like it filled in all of these pieces that were really broken. And I didn't even know how broken that they were. I had no clue that a lot of this was dealing with trauma of losing him. I didn't know. This is Transformations Recovery Podcast, Season 2, Episode 12. On today's episode, Roman and Cecily talk with Mona, clean and sober addict, former international drug smuggler, mother, artist, and classic coffee shop waitress. Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Hi, my name is Mona. No Hi. pants, Mona. That's <laughs> Coming in hot. Coming in hot. Oh, and I, don't, if, I feel I don't know how to introduce myself without saying, and I'm an alcoholic. I do it actually in front of people. I mean, two people. It's weird. I'm weird. Last night, uh, when we were talking, or when you were talking, uh, like I didn't, I hadn't realized that you're a retread, and I got real interested in that, like because you know you're obviously on fire right now. So, yeah. I mean, you're just doing the deal. So the whole retread thing was part of it, and then just you know your story's fascinating with the uh, your upbringing and hanging out in clubs when you were way too young and just all the whole thing. You great. know, I did, and I hung out at the Roxy when my mom worked at the Roxy when I was like ten. 9, 10, 11 years old, and, and uh, I have a sponsee whose mother used to take her out like that, and I'm like, you know that's abuse, huh? <laughs> and I go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I guess it is. I guess it is. Um, so I, I am, I yeah, I did relapse. I, I was, um, I came in when I was about 40, and um, uh, I, I got about, you know, like, and I said, you know, I got married, I got married to a musician, um, like during this period. And, um, you know, it, it was, I, it seemed like I got everything I wanted. I got the husband, I got the house, I got the cars, I got the, you know, he was going to be gone half the time because he was touring and it was really good. And then, um, you know, and then my ego got in the way and that was really the problem. I felt like I didn't have, like I had all this stuff, but my ego was in the way and it was like, and I said last night, 
I felt like God must have loved me more than anybody else because I couldn't understand why other people were relapsing. Mm -hmm. And that's what made it very difficult for me to get back was because I was judging people all the time about relapsing. And so I felt like people would judge me all the time about relapsing. And as it turns out, they do. But... But I don't think they judge as harshly as I judged everybody else. So, but yeah, so I had all the stuff and my ex-husband was uh, in a motorcycle accident and, uh, and it really kind of pulled the rug out from under me. You know, now he was home all the time and I had to take care of him and I stopped going to meetings. And then one day he said the oddest thing. He said, uh, you know, uh, honey, I don't like the Viking. <laughs> And he's like, I don't like the way it makes me feel. And I went, what? And he said, yeah, so let's tell the doctor, because the doctor was our friend, so let's just tell Gil we don't want anymore. And so I called him, and I, the doctor, and I said, hey, you know what? We need to get some more of that Vicodin, because he's really in a lot of pain. And I hung up the phone, and I was like, why would I do that? Like, It made no sense to me that I did that, because he had just said. But then the next day... Uh, you know, my car drove me into a liquor store and uh, I picked up some Southern Comfort for just in case. You know, how, yeah. I don't know like how it works with you guys, but one day, just in case, after four years of being sober, made sense to me. Like, just in case. And then I got home and I put it in the freezer and I thought, you know, this house really needs to be cleaned. And Vicodin has always helped me clean. And so um, I just started taking the Vicodin and then the next day, just in case happened, and then I called my, uh, you know, my friend, the doctor, and said, you know, I'm having a lot of anxiety, and he said, okay, Ativan, and so boom, it was Vicodin, Ativan, Southern Comfort, and then cocaine, and then, and that was it, man, and then, you know, three years later, I was divorced. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! Yeah, but he was a coke addict, too. It's a, it's a long story, but... Um, yeah, so that was my second divorce, and, and uh, yeah. So take so take us back, I guess, to the beginning. Like, how, what what happened leading up to your first stint of being sober? Oh, okay. So um, I was raised. Um, I was actually raised in Canoga Park, pretty much where you picked me up. Yeah. So um, uh, I um, my mother. Uh, my biological father was who had been out of the picture for a long time. He left when I was like four and just, but, but he was an alcoholic. And, um, so we weren't allowed to drink alcohol in my house, but my mother was a druggie and she went out to have her drinks and, you know, she, she smoked a lot of pot. My stepfather, my stepfather, who was like, I consider my dad was, was a major cokehead. And, you know, my mother did a little bit of coke, but, um, her thing was she worked at the Roxy. Um, in Hollywood and um, so she was a party girl you know she was a party girl but with all that said I wasn't allowed to drink in my house and, and so we're talking when I was about there was no alcohol in the house for me when I was like 10 or 11 years old but I was already smoking pot and I was already you know stealing dad's coke and doing coke and um, uh, you know, I thought of this when I first came here. I used to, I saw, my parents had a waterbed, and I saw my dad stash 
because my dad was entrepreneurial, you know, in that way. And so, you know, for me to be around drugs and to become entrepreneurial with drugs was just a rite of passage. I was taking on the family business. So my, so my, my dad, I saw him stashing something underneath the corner of the waterbed, lifting up the waterbed and stashing. And so, of course, as soon as he was gone, I was like, what's that? And I lifted it and it was like thousands of dollars under there. And so I would just take out a hundred. I would skip school. I'm like... 10, 11 years old, skip school and take myself to lunch over at Topanga Plaza, you know, and I like have a hundred dollar bill and I'm tipping really well because my mother, you know, and these waitresses are looking at me. I was very, um, I was very kind of grown up, you know, my mother took me out. It was me and my brother and sister, but I was considered separate than that. I was more my mother's friend and it was Mona and the little ones. And so I was, um, and then what happens with that is also I, um, I pretty much raised my brother and sister. My brother turned out okay, my sister's a fucking mess, but you know what, there's, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm doing drugs and, and um, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm. By the time I'm 13, I am a, you know, just a full-blown cokehead, and I've been drinking because I had to sneak out and drink, and and uh, you know, smoke pot almost every day. And the thing was is that I got the shit at home. I got it at home, so it wasn't like, and there was so much of it that my my parents didn't even notice that it was gone. And so, when I'm 13, my stepdad ODs. My mom and dad get into a into a let's back up a little my my mother and I know why my mom and dad got into a fight was because my mother shows up with this other dude you know and um god bless him, my mom my mom and she was I kept saying my mom man you know she was just that way and and but with this guy came along um, you know, and it's when you're young, you don't really know what's going on. So it's kind of the time frame is a little weird, but I know this guy showed up and I know one morning I woke up and there was a bottle of vodka this big and a bottle of Seagram's this big and they were bottles. They were glass bottles. Do you remember those? The mm -hmm. glass bottles and they had pumps on top yes. and I went, it was almost like and the skylight, the skylight actually showed down on them, and it was like, la, except we didn't have a skylight, and that's just how I remember it. <laughs> and I swear to God, that's really how I remember it. And I, I was like, oh, my God, so excited, because normally we just smoked a little pot before I went to school. But, you know, this, I could get drunk before I went to school now, and I called my friend Sandy Hans. Sandy and I invented this game where... Um, uh, I am. Um, we had these big coffee mugs, and we would fill them half Seagrams, half vodka, and then we would stand <laughs> over the kitchen sink and hold our noses and drink like a mug of it down. And whoever didn't throw up won the game, and that was that was the whole fucking thing. And we were thirteen, and we toddle off to junior high, and eventually I got busted for being in drunk at school, and that's you know that's. But again, like I was never treated like a kid when I was, you know, young. My mother literally took me to the Roxy Theater when I was 10 and 11 years old. Like on a school night, I'd be out until 2, 3 in the morning because, because she was a waitress there. So there was all the side work and, you know, it took a minute and, you know, you know, she was... 
I don't know. I don't know if you. I, I've worked in cocktail bars. I've worked in cocktail bars, and you know the staff get really tight. And my dad was a coke addict, and you know, like everybody had coke, and yeah. you know, and it was that time, and and um, you know, I would sneak drinks and and whatever. So I didn't get home until two, three in the morning, and then I'm going to school. And when I was very young, um, I was actually considered um, an exceptional you know, kid, like I was reading at a college level and my mother had taught me to read and write in two languages when I was four years old. And, and, um, so I, so it was that way. And they tried to put me in the special classes for the smart kids. And I refused to go because I didn't want to be like the nerds, you know? And so, and here's my mother and here's the way I was raised with the no discipline and how it carried on, um, was that, uh, she never even tried to force me. <laughs> she she just, it, it, it's part of, and I was raised by a drug addict and alcoholic who had no interest in what their, what her children were doing. Or, you know, it's just, it's just how it was. My brother and I have these conversations about it. And it's like, he said, do you ever remember mom showing any interest in anything that you were interested in? And I said, and it just, no, never, never, because she was one of us. She was, she was, and I grew up and my brother said, you're so fucking much like mom. You're so much like mom when I was drinking and using because I didn't give a fuck. And so it just kind of continued from there. My dad OD'd when I was 13 and, and, um, um, then like a week later, my mother came flying out of the closet and she was gay and this woman moved in and she was, (laughs) she was my dad's drug dealer's girlfriend. I mean, this is the kind of chaos that I grew up in. And I'm like, why is Sheila here? She belongs with Cliff up on the hill. And my mom's like, no, she lives here now. And so that was it, you know. And But the thing with Sheila, it, okay, so my mother had a problem with rage. Like, you never knew when you were going to get it. Like, you could walk past her and she was in the kitchen and she would just reach her hand out and snatch you by the hair. And you didn't know what you were getting it for. So it was very scary. And I was always on tactical alert. Mm-hmm. And um, so the woman that she brought into the house was a violent drunk too. So I had to deal with that. And, um, you know, this is just makes up, you know, nurture or nature or whatever the fuck it is. But, you know, like I went out and I took that bullshit into the streets. And, you know, I was always, you know, beating people up and whatever the fuck I was doing. But I was always running the streets. I was out until 2, 3 in the morning all the time when I was a kid. And I was always drinking and always getting loaded. And I said last night that I don't remember um, ever becoming an addict. I don't ever remember becoming an alcoholic. I just was out of the gate. Like, you know, I didn't smoke a little bit of pot from, from the beginning. I fucking got stoned. Like, it was never like, hey, let's go smoke some pot. It was like, let's go get fucked up. Let's go, you know, hey, you want to do some lines? You know, my friends are like, dude, we're 10. You know, like, <laughs> them and then we draw you know like whatever the fuck we did (laughs) isn't this great they'd be like i gotta go home you're too (laughs) hey this is sammy town if you like what we're doing please subscribe review share like and comment you know i'd sneak out every night like i had to or something you know and 
you know, and I said to my mom years later, I said, you know, I used to sneak out all the time. She's like, I knew you were fucking sneaking out. The dogs are going crazy and I'm sneaking out the window. But it didn't matter because she, again, no interest. She wasn't going to stop me. It was too, she, you know, it was just too much for her to deal with the kids. And so, um, you know, my dad's dead. I'm 13 years old. I've got this violent alcoholic in my house. Like she used to come into the bedroom and fucking punch me in the face when I was asleep and shit like that. And this... I know I'm, sh- I'm sharing it with you guys. It's kind of an, you know, but now it's on the podcast, but this is the kind of violence I grew up with. Like yeah. just, you know, like it was not. So, um, and I had the kind of mother where if I told her, she would say, don't you ever argue with the drunk. You should know better than that. And so that was, again, no interest whatsoever. And in what was going on, my mom was such a, you know, when we talk about selfish and self-centeredness and, and how bad it is. And you talk, we, and we talk to women and we hear women go, you know, and I treated my kids like shit. And, and the thing about my family at that point was I grew up now, I'm 57. So we're talking like the early seventies there, that kind of stuff really didn't get, unless you were bruises and you know, like the kids were like skinny and bruised, and, you know, they didn't really take the kids away for that. But because my mother was a lesbian, that was the biggest secret because they would have taken us away for that. Which was, and that's the truth. That's really how it was. So, um, wow. yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the beatings were pretty much okay. You know, with stuff, I, I pick up a wooden spoon, um, you know, because I have a wooden spoon at home. And, and I look at it and I think, who the fuck picks up one of these and thinks I'm going to beat my kid with it? Who does that? You do? <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Roman, because I got a kind of kink about that now. <laughs> Uh, go get it. So yeah, I'm just I'm still tripping on the fact that you know in the '70s it's okay to beat the shit out of your kids. Just don't be a lesbian. Just don't be a lesbian. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So um, so anyway, uh, my dad dies and and she's there and and um, you know I turn 14 and I'm I, I mean. At this point, like, I am a full-blown, like, I'm not even going to school anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to school, and I am just, I'm leaving for some reason, and I'm hanging out at the park where we stash our bombs, and I'm getting loaded, and, you know, I already have a a hookup for coke, and, and, you know, this was also when opiated hash was out, and so in the park is where I hung, and I was a little kid. I see pictures of myself. And there were people coming through dealing, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, you know, like over here. And, and I was just getting loaded in the park all the time. And they told my mom, <coughs> and my mom just never gave a fuck. So this is, you know, like, and so, it, it, so as you can see, this is, this was, you know, you give an undisciplined child drugs and alcohol, and that's probably what they're going to do. And mm-hmm. so uh, when I was, had just turned 15, I met my, um, my son's father. And um, he was, uh, you know, he beat me up too. So it was like, yay, you know, I'm in love. And, and uh, <laughs> because that's what I thought love was, you know. And I never knew when that was coming either. So it was like, oh, I know how to do this, you know. And, and I was 15 and he was 22. And my mother never blinked an eye. So this is how, I'm not, and, and I'm going to say this off the top. I fucking loved my mother. And I love her to this day and I miss her horribly. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm to a point in my life where I see 
that she did the absolute best. You know, we hear this, oh, you, she did the best that, that she could. I mean, I really think that's all she could bring to the table with her drug addiction and alcoholism, you know? And if I have to forgive myself in a way for some of the shit I pulled, then I have to extend that to my mother, you know? I have to. And it makes it much easier to love her. You know, my brother's still not there, but it makes it for me much easier to love her. And, you know, she had some, she, when she died, she, she was a reverend for the Unity Church, and you know she kind of pulled. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, it took years, and you know, when she by the time she was sixty for, I don't know, almost ten years, she had been a reverend for the Unity Church. Yeah. So you know, which didn't mean she didn't get stoned and drank, but she, coke was gone, and was yeah. she still a lesbian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Unity. It's unity. Hey. <laughs> unity. So anyway, you know, whatever, you know, so now and then I almost, you know, uh, my ex gives me my, you know, Dominic's father gives me my first orgasm and I'm like fucking majorly in love. He's beating me up and making me come and I'm like, oh, this is, this is, great. I, this is great. I got to move in with this guy. And so I did. So I did. I moved in with him uh, when I was, you know, like I think we moved in right away like you know I wasn't even 15 and a half yet and um, I turned about 15 and a half and and I get pregnant and um, like I'm going out and getting milk we got we got pregnant together and uh, and, and so um, and I had Dominic when I was like it was I turned 16 in July and he was born in November and um, so yeah, so I was a kid, but like I said last night, I managed to stay sober during that nine months when I was pregnant. I had a glass of wine, it made me really sick. I had done some quaaludes before I knew I was pregnant and um, it really concerned me through the whole pregnancy and it was my secret. I didn't tell anybody because I thought, oh my God, you know, I've ruined this baby. And so he came out and he was, um, you know, my, my uh, my delivery was very difficult. I was very young. You know, I ended up having a C-section and, and, uh, and, um, uh, yeah. And he was born and I had a baby and I immediately started getting loaded again, you know, so I was my mother. So I was my mother, you know, and my ex-husband was a limo driver. And so, uh, you know, he ended up managing this. <laughs> he knew <her> everything. <laughs> so, so yeah. And, uh, so I just, you know, it was the same thing. And, and my whole life, like, I knew that I was smart. And it was the one thing that I knew I could hang on to. Like, I was smart. And um, uh, at, at least they had told me I was smart, you know, when I was growing up. And I had all this potential, you know. And uh, uh, I think Bukowski said, you know, I knew I was smart and I knew I could... I could be something someday and I really felt like that and I lived off that fantasy but I had no idea how to get there I had no idea that like hey if you'd have finished school maybe you would have some drive to do something else I never finished anything in my life I never and then it got to the point where I never really started anything in my life either and um so you know I'm I'm raising I'm a child raising a child with this man um, that's like seven years older than me and, and, uh, things are going sideways very quickly. And, and, uh, Dominic is about three years old and we make the final split. We make the final split. And, um, I give Dominic custody. I mean, I give, uh, Dominic's father custody because, uh, he, um, oh, and I gotta say also 
My mother was very upset about my pregnancy, not because I was a child having a child, but because she did not want to be a grandmother. And that was really the honest to God truth. She was like, that child is not going to call me grandma. And I don't, this was, this was my mother, you know, she just, so, um, I, I leave, uh, Dominic with Tim and, um, because it was really weird. Tim used to beat me up, but he never hit Dominic. Like he never, he'd get mad now and then, but he'd never hit him. And so I thought, okay, it's safer than me being 19 years old, like out on my own. I didn't know what the fuck I was thinking. Maybe I'll join the Navy. I didn't, I had no fucking clue. My mom was already in Colorado and I thought, well, you know, so of course I get a job, you know, like, uh, you could back then you could just say you were a certain age. You didn't even have to have an ID or anything. So I'm immediately working in bars because family business again, that's what my mom did, you know? And, and so, <clears throat> um, I went one weekend to go pick up Dominic and, um, his father had, uh, picked up and moved and, um, and uh, his entire family had picked up and moved, and they were gone. And I, I, I'm freaking out, and I get home, and he calls me, and he says, you know, I, if I have Dominic, and if you come after me, I will kill you, and um, I will go to jail with a smile on my face. And I believed him. Mm-hmm. I knew. And it was also a time where there were no Amber Alerts, and I was a kid, and he was the father, and he had custody, even though we hadn't written it down. And... Um, so I call my mom and my mom says, uh, you know, that's okay. You just come to Colorado. You were never supposed to be a mother anyway. And so I come to Colorado and I live in a family where we don't talk about anything. So we never talked about Dominic, never talked about him. I would try and it was just like, no. And uh, so I had a needle in my arm. I was shooting up coke within six months. And... Um, so, and thus started the journey. And, um, <laughs> you know, I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I meet three of my best friends, who we are still really good friends right now. And because we had gone through so much shit, like I was 19, and they were just like a year under me. And then, you know, they were sisters. And, and uh, her mother, it's funny how, for me, um, how it ended up was I, um, I, there was a, my picker was never broken. It was always with radar into, like I could be in a football stadium and my radar would fucking zoom in on the one drug dealer in that, in the fucking place. Amen. And right. And, and, the, and, and probably he would be my boyfriend too. And again, I told you last night, if he was a fucking musician, it was all about it. Cause I hadn't, I grew up with musicians all over the house all the time. I just love them. I still love them to this day. I really do. And um, so um, I radared into these girlfriends and their mother, you know, was a drug dealer. And, and you know, so then we just kind of worked with her. And, and uh, you know, here we were, kids, you know, 19, 20 years old, running Boulder, Colorado. Like, and we still talk about it. We ran Colorado Boulder, <laughs> you know, and we <laughs> But we kind of did. We were really the coolest of the cool. We felt like we were, but really we were, you know, and here we were in like this huge college town and it never once occurred to us to go to school at all, at all. (laughs) To go to frat houses every now and then to drop off some shit, but we were like, ew, frat boys, gross, you know, and and, uh, yeah, so we were, that's what we were. And, uh, you know, there were, um, there was a, there were busts and, you know, there were, um, 
you know, DUIs and, and you know, I had, uh, you know, there were, there were a couple of pretty serious coke busts and, and uh, you know, my name was in the paper and somebody, at this point my mother was in New Mexico and, and somebody sent the articles, you know, to my mother who was like suddenly ashamed of my behavior and I'm like, they sent me an article, I can't believe you're, you know, one minute it would be like, um, you know, I, and here was her thing too, and this is, this is just, I can't believe you're making all that money and you're not sending some to the family. That's, you're so, you know, you're so fucking selfish. You're so selfish. And then every now and then I'd send her some money. I don't want your fucking blood money, but she'd still take it. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> so she's trying to be a good mother by saying she doesn't want the blood money, whatever the fuck that means. And <laughs> the blood money, yeah. the blood money. So fucking stupid. So anyway, so we we get popped in Colorado for um, uh, importing cocaine in children's books from Colombia, and it's you. not like it's not like. Are it, you doing like paste between pages? <gasps> Fuck yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, the day we got busted, it was funny because we went to pull it. We, we had a PO, but we thought. We were sloppy. We were kids. We were dumb. And um, even my friend's mother was a kind of a kid, you know, like, and hey, we're doing this. And we were, you know, whatever the fuck we were doing. It, again, it wasn't like we had any goals. It wasn't like our entire thing was to sit, stay high and, and do dope and make some money. That was that was it. And if I was doing that, and maybe if I had a drug dealer boyfriend or, or a, a musician boyfriend... My life was fucking good, and that's really all I cared about. It there wasn't much future tripping at all for me, you know, like no, really, because I didn't plan on living very long anyway. And when I hit 24, I was absolutely shocked and depressed. I didn't, so I didn't make any plans, you know, past 24, you know. And then next thing I knew, I was, you know, 30, and I still was like, well, what the fuck, you know. Transformations Recovery Podcast is committed to helping those who are still suffering. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, and review. It will really help us out. Thanks. Tell me about the children's books. The children's books. <laughs> so we go and we pick up out of a P.O. box. Thank you for guiding me back because I do that. Um, <laughs> Because all the drugs. <laughs> I am different. Anyway, so. I'm different. I'm different. Um, so we go to pick up the uh, package out of the P.O. box. And um, it was really funny because there were some guys standing outside of the P.O. box. And there were these older dudes. And I look at my friend and I go, look at those old guys checking us out. And they must have been like, I don't know, 35 <laughs> And I, we were like, ew, and we get in the car, and we drive over, and we, I, I was, okay, so we were doing something after that, so we just went and dropped it off, okay, and I guess that the moment that it was opened up, like, I was getting back in the car, and um, this woman comes running up the street going, uh, don't you get in that fucking car, don't you get in that fucking car, don't you get in that fucking car, and I went... And I looked at my friend and I go, Jesus Christ, your mother's friends are getting weirder and fucking weirder every day. And next thing you know, there's a gun to the back of my head. And this woman was going, don't you get in that fucking car. And I was like, 
Whoa. And so here we are, Boulder, Colorado, which is a pretty bougie town and it's nice. And the fucking cops come in and they just line us up on the front lawn and make us all, you know, lay down with our hands, you know. And then, um, you know, and then we make the papers and then uh, I... I shortly thereafter moved to New Mexico. And <laughs> surprise! <laughs> surprise! And, and, you know, it's funny because none of those charges ever stuck. The only thing on me, because I wasn't holding the package, and we dropped it off at her mother's house. Mm-hmm. And so when they kept asking me, what do you know about this? What do you know about this? And I was like, fucking nothing. I don't know. Yeah, of course. You know, I don't know shit. And then they kept saying, well, where do you? So they had been look, watching me. They said, where do you live? And I said, you know, with, and my, my boyfriend at the time is actually dead now. So this is whatever, you know, and, and they, I said, I live with Jack and they were like, Jack who? And so I said his last name and they were like, so you're saying you live with Jack and you don't know what's going on here. And I said, yes, I don't, I don't know. And so I just managed, it happened to be the one time there was no dope in my purse. Mm -hmm. There was no, like I was literally clean. And I had a DU, of course, a DUI warrant, which happens to be one of those things I love to have all the time. And, and it's just like, you know, like my butterfly wings, you know, it keeps me moving. My DUI warrants keep me moving. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, so they put me in jail for a weekend for that. And, you know, everything else, you know, Linda did a, a few years and no, she did two years. And which is a fucking amazing because... She could have done some serious time, and I don't know exactly why that happened because I skedaddled at that point anyway. So, and even though that sounds a little like to me when I say that to people, people, because I know what I would think is like, oh, okay, she ratted. I'm not a rat, and I'm still really good friends with these people to prove it. So, no. so there. <laughs> Is Linda the mother? Yeah. Or Lin- okay, yeah. she only did two years? Yeah, I think she did two or three years, yeah. Yeah, which was really like, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know if she rat. That's what I, I was gonna say. I don't know if she did, but I know I was like, I you never know, thought I, you were the rat, but Linda, no, Linda may have been because fuck those Peruvian motherfuckers. <laughs> Two years for importing cocaine in children's books. You know, that and that's sounds... the thing. That's why it made a really good article because if you put children's books and cocaine and importing in one fucking like a headline, <gasps> you know. Like a- female right right that's right oh yeah it's bad it's bad it's all bad you know so so anyway then i moved can i interrupt yes of course please i want to do a little psa right now kids when talking to the police always say i have no idea what you're talking about call my attorney that's exactly right that's exact that is and those are words that my family live by (laughs) i said to my brother somebody was saying something and i i go david what's the family motto and he goes Never say anything and ask for an attorney. Never, and that's <laughs> that's my family I don't know motto. I, need an attorney. I, I don't know. I need an attorney. I don't know. I need I don't an know. attorney. I don't know. You look at my lips like they're going to say something else. They're not. Like, I've actually said that. <laughs> I was also taught this mantra by right? my father, God rest his soul, when I was a very young man. Right. And yeah. It did me right. It did me right too, and it's done my brother right. It didn't do my sister very right, but it's but so two out of three. Yeah. Whatever. I don't. So, New Mexico. New, I'm in New Mexico, and you know, it's just the same shit. You know, it's just, you know, I meet a drug dealer, and um, 
you know, well, he was a cab driver and I was taking a cab somewhere and we start talking and, you know, in my mind, oh, this guy's pretty hot. And then he offers to sell me some Coke and I'm like, oh, you're my boyfriend now. (laughs) (laughs) And that that was pretty much that. And so we, um, you know, we... Oh, you're my boyfriend now. (laughs) So, and he was for a little while and then we got busted. And um, uh, he got busted because he was just my boyfriend, you know, and um, again... But I was working at, um, you know, a really nice hotel. But, you know, it's just like any other town. Santa Fe, New Mexico is fucking beautiful. Yes. And there are the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots work for the haves. And I worked for the haves. And I worked in this absolutely beautiful um, hotel up there. And, of course, cocktailing. I was drunk all the fucking time. And and the have-nots are... are you know, we know where the CD underbelly of every place is. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, I hung out at a place called Nick's and, um, you know, I had my drug dealing boyfriend and, you know, and then, you know, he got busted and he went away, you know, and, um, and I thought I'd got, I, I would get to keep his car, but then his girlfriend showed up. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, give me the car. And she was really cool because I guess she knew she gave me a hug. She's like, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And then I'm at Nick's one time and I meet this guy. He's a drummer. He's touring through. And that's fucking, I was in love. And um, so again, there was a newspaper article and my name was in it. And um, at this point, my mother's in Arizona and they send her the fucking article, whoever the fuck it was. And my mother's like, I can't believe it. And I'm like, okay, mom, sorry. (laughs) you know credit card fraud was my thing and so i um it was one of my things because you can fly high with credit cards like you you can shop well you know like and so um so i left new mexico and um, I went, decided to go to Arizona. I'm following my mother all yeah, over the fucking. Yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah, following. Just yeah, I'm I'm following her everywhere, you know. And so I, I go to Arizona, and you know I have a credit card, and I, I take. And this is my mother's girlfriend at the time, who I really loved, and we're still really tight, and I love her. And she um, she she just keeps talking about this, but this is what happened: was I had uh, a credit card. And I bought, and also all you had to have was the number back then. You didn't even have to have the card physically. All you had to have was the number. And so you never had to show ID anywhere. Like it was just fucking so easy and different to reinvent yourself and just really like nothing followed you really. You know, there weren't all the major computers where everybody knew all of your shit. It wasn't like that. Yeah, you cross the state line. You're and that's it. It's, it's, you're a whole new person. Yeah. Or and you're just a different person with their number (laughs) (laughs) so i'm on a plane now first class and i'm so drunk that i'm like hitting on this guy you know like next and he's like no thank you and he and i will never forget this guy he looks at me and he's like are you an alcoholic and i was like probably (laughs) and so by the time i get off this uh this plane i'm so fucked up and 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 this is my arrival in arizona and you know i have a couple of big suitcases 
and I decide I'm going to hire a limousine, and uh, I don't know where my mother lives, and this is during Thomas Guide, and so I know it's somewhere. You want in- to explain to the children what a Thomas Guide is? <laughs> sure, <laughs> Thomas Guide. You go ahead, Roman. No. You explain a Thomas Guide. It's a book of maps. Let them motherfuckers yeah. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm telling this guy, like, I think it's this address, I think it's this address, and I'm making him stop like at liquor stores and I'm pounding shots and I, you know and this is my arrival in Arizona and um, I uh, um, um, my driver is just really pissed off at me you know and I'm hitting on guys like I would stop the, stop the car and I like like it was all bad all bad because all along this let me say that even though like I'm a, I'm a serial monogamist I'm also pretty slutty at the time so I, <laughs> so I and I found that out when I was doing a fifth step you know <laughs> as it turns out <laughs> so, as it turns out that's a uh, part of my nature and so um, so anyway we finally find my mother's house and my mother's out front and she's with Clark who is my mother's ex who she after the violent drunk she got together with this woman and this woman's fucking she's a psychiatrist you know and she you know she's just a bitchin fucking educated really and not that an education makes somebody really cool but in comparison to everything else I you know we bonded and I really loved her and it was the first time that I really felt like there was any parenting going on in my life and and here I was like 25 years old or something and I'm finally being parented and it felt so good but we pull up to the house and um the driver's so fucking pissed off at me that he just, you know, opens the trunk, takes my shit, throws it out, and um, I'm standing in front of my mother's house, and she's having a fucking yard sale. And, <laughs> and that was the arrival in Arizona, and it didn't change much, you know? Where in Arizona? Tempe. Tempe, okay. Tempe. And so she said, you have one month to get the fuck out of here, and uh, I did, and again... Same fucking shit. You know, I don't have... And I gotta say, this whole time, it's not like... You know, I wanted to be a writer, and I still write, you know, and I wrote back then. I was, um, you know, I would write to the newspaper and get published all the time, and I... I um, Very cool. I, and I, uh, you know, and I'm an artist, so I would paint all the time. And I had these things, you know, to stimulate me, mm-hmm. but, you know, I was... But the majority of me, of my mind, was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And as much as these little, this little bit of, like the star that was inside of me, the brightness that was inside of me was trying to escape, all of the drugs and the alcohol would just push it down. And I would have these moments where I'd be like, I'm an artist, you know, and I would just start painting like crazy. And I did some murals and I did some stuff. I really did. But all of it was drug-fueled. There was never, oh, well, I'm going to go to this person's house and do a mural. And, um, and uh, oh, well, okay, so today I'm not going to get high. Mm-hmm. I would walk into somebody's house fucking high as fuck and do this stuff. And it's almost like if you're an artist, you can get away with it. You know? Like, I don't know how people didn't know. Maybe they did. You know how you think nobody knows? They and know. Yeah, they know. So, um, you know, so I burnt Arizona to the ground, you know, and, uh, <laughs> the whole fucking state. yeah, <laughs> that's why it's a desert now. <laughs> it was a rainforest. It was a rainforest and then Mona arrived. 
or whoever she was yeah. arrived and and uh, you know it's just the same shit. I got out of the house in a month and I just you know found a drug dealer. Just I mean the whole fucking thing, the same thing, and um and my drummer from New Mexico starts running through Arizona and. Uh, you know, we decided we're in love, and um, I'm going to move back to California to be with him. Mm. And uh, so I moved back to California, and um, which didn't matter because, you know, Arizona was a desert at that point, you know, like, I, <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing else there for me. I don't know about you, Roman, or, or you were really young when you got sober. Like, I was older when I got sober, and I've got these years that kind of mesh together, and I don't know exactly, and I base my age on what guy I was with yes. at the time. I really, <laughs> I really do. And sometimes they overlap and I can't be sure, <laughs> which is really bad. I swear to God, it's really bad. So, so, um, based on my time with Rick, I think it was, uh, like 92 maybe. So that puts me at 29 and I, I feel like I was younger. But anyway, so um, I come out and uh, we're not quite living together. I got a place, you know, I don't even, I know. I had moved into my very first sober living because I had nowhere to go. And he didn't want me staying with him. He was like, oh, so you actually came. Okay, you know, and. This <laughs> <laughs> she's had a good on the phone. <laughs> I was really high last night. nowhere really to go and so I decided uh, to go and I don't know why I decided I had heard of AA somebody tried to talk me into AA my mother really tried to talk me into AA and um, you know I wasn't having it until again like this is like me like I don't get sober until fucking like that like it is fucking the house has collapsed around me and and for me and I said this last night there is no bravery for me in getting sober. It's, there, I am not brave for doing it. I am not, because for me, the way I do it is I'm running out of a fucking burning building. Mm -hmm. And so I'm running into something that feels like I can be there for, I can take, I can at least be there for a while. And I don't have to be homeless. And I'll probably work around, you know, doing the drugs and the alcohol. And, um, so I go to a I go to an AA meeting. I'm homeless, you know, and so they put me somebody scholarships me into a sober living, and um, you know I'm not staying sober. I'm you know going to Rick's house uh, every, and this was Rick, the guy I just broke up with, that we were together back then, and um, yeah, and so I would go to his place and I'd be like, load the bong, load the bong, you know, let's have some, you know, let's have some drinks. And I don't know why they never tested me for pot. They just never fucking did. I was like, um, I moved up the ranks very quickly and I was like the poster child for this sober living, you know, and I'm off fucking getting loaded every weekend. And, and uh, so then I come out of there and um, immediately start using it just, you know, I don't remember a lot of those years anymore, so I don't. I don't want to make shit up. I. I don't. You know, like I just know that I got loaded, a lot, a lot, um, and I and and Rick and I split up. Uh, we moved in together, and um, we split up. And I was, you know, there was 
there was a lot of heroin, a lot of speed, a lot of booze, a lot of like fucking everything. I remember one time I was using the foil to cook and he was like, what are you doing with the foil? And I was like, it's made for cooking, you know, like, <laughs> and he got so pissed and we talked about it later and he's like, I don't know. I was like, whatever the fuck, you know, like, and, and that's how I lived. And it just seemed like, you know, like foil abuse. <laughs> Chasing the dragon, bitch. <laughs> oh. That's not what that's for. <laughs> and we laughed about it later, but it's so weird how real that was it oh, at yeah. the time. And so that's kind of how we lived. And and uh, so, of course, it didn't work out. And it, it, the breakup was really gnarly and really bad. And then I met another boyfriend, you know. And this is the one I talked about that, um, you know, we really did fall in love. It was really... Like, we really fell in love. Like, we were getting, I mean, you know, doing a lot of speed, doing a lot of heroin. You know, we got together, we stayed together for a long time and, and a few years. I remember him saying, you know, I'm thinking of getting clean. I'm thinking of not doing drugs. And he said, you know, are you, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, listen, if you want a girl who's not going to do drugs or drink, you need to move the fuck on because I... I live this way, I'm gonna die this way. I This is it for me. Like, I am amazed I'm sitting here sober right now because I was so serious about that. Like, I had, like, it wasn't even part of my fucking brain structure. Like, no, there's no part of anything in my brain that thought, Mona, maybe you ought to stop doing this stuff. Never, it never occurred to me. Like, not, the and only I only went into sober living that one time so I could fucking not be homeless, right. you know? And I was drinking and using the whole time. I had no fucking clue how anybody could function in any way without drugs and alcohol. I started a business when Jonathan and I were together. I was doing some custom framing and I started selling some artwork. I, you know, I have a real creative mind and, you know, if, so anyway, I'm, uh, I'm, with, I'm with Jonathan and, and uh, you know, we, uh, he gets busted a few times and um, the cops come and raid our house because we are selling methamphetamine and um, uh, he was on probation and so he wasn't allowed to have anything in the house but the warrant that they had wasn't for the car so um, you know that's where he kept everything but me and we also knew that they were coming because we had we had a friend up at Devonshire uh, who called us and let us know. And so we had everything. Except me, like an asshole, I get into a fight with Jonathan, and I'm like, fuck you, I'm out of here. I went into the bedroom, and I do a line, and then I left another line on my nightstand, and he fucking went down for a line, and I wasn't home. And so, anyway, he ends up, he did, it was really fucked. And so I had to, I admitted it was mine. Yeah. You know, like, we went to court, and I admitted that it was mine. So everything was dropped from him, and he gets busted a couple more times. He goes in to cry help. He was like, look, you know, and he goes in to cry help. And I didn't realize how sick we were um, until I hear him telling his story. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, you know, we were really sick, and I didn't re I, You know how you just don't realize how sick you fucking are? Mm -hmm. Like, I honestly had no fucking clue. But he goes in to cry help for nine months, and I was so out of my fucking mind that they wouldn't let me visit him, they wouldn't let me talk to him, that I would, like, sit in the car outside of cry help and cry, you know, and, like, it, I was, I felt like it was my right to fuck up his sobriety. 
You know, like, how fucking dare you? You're leaving me out here to die. You're fucking coming out here. And they were like, you know what? And I called this counselor a cunt. You know, and she's like, yeah, no, you don't <laughs> fuck you. I'm calling them at cry help, like, like calling them over and over and over. Fuck you. You know, and they were just, it was bad. So anyway, he goes in for nine months and, um, while he's there, my mother dies at the very end. Uh, my mother dies. And he said to me before he went in, uh, um, I'm not going to let you die out here. I'm going to come get you. And he did his nine months, and sure as fuck, he showed up at my front door the day he got out. And I was dying at that point because my mother, my mother had just died. I had no fucking coping skills. I had no idea how to deal with that, you know, and, and uh, I was literally smoking so much meth and heroin that I was passing out and waking up and smoking more and, and you know, drinking all the time. And I was working in this dive bar, and I think that I was telling you, Roman, like I was... Literally, at that point, I was doing so much dope that, that my friends called me ladles because I, after I got sober, because I would go into the back while I was bartending at this dive, and I'd go into the back, and I would hang these ladles on the file cabinet on the handles, and I would pour my dope in there, and I would, you know, like, get it ready. <laughs> oh, I love Yeah, that. so, yeah, I thought it was really clever, but it was really a sign of somebody who was doing too much dope. And... <laughs> You know, we think we're so clever, you know, and so anyway, so he comes and gets me and um, I tortured him for about a month and would make him stop and cop heroin before I went to a meeting and, you know, like drank and I'd nod out and he was sober. He was sober and he fucking looked good and um, I didn't know how to do it. And so he, you know, I'd be high at meetings. I couldn't get the message. I, I'd just be high and I just, I, I was... At that point, I, I knew for sure I was crazy and I was really lost. Mm -hmm. I knew for sure. And he was sick of my shit. And so he dumped me off at um, a sober living uh, with a carton of cigarettes and paid for a month and was like, you fucking get, go, you yeah. know. And so that started my first journey um, into Alcoholics Anonymous. That was the very beginning for me. And I was 40. We love making this podcast and want to keep doing it. Please consider becoming a patron of our podcast on Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com and search Transformations Care Podcast or click the link on our website at transformationscare.com. Pledge any amount and receive our undying love. If you pledge 10 bucks, we'll give you the raw, unedited version of each week's interview plus other cool swag. Pledge 25 bucks and receive a Transformations Care bag invitations to special events, bonus content, and other surprises. Most importantly, at 2,000 patrons, we will scholarship an addict or alcoholic through the Transformations Care Residential Detox Program. I um, got a sponsor. I started working some steps. I um, was very serious about it. I took my program very, very seriously, you know, and, um, and then I met my ex-husband. And, uh, you know, um, he already had a coke habit. And, but I didn't think that it would really affect me because I was sober. And he was gone half the time, and when he was home, he was in his studio a lot. So, 
And I would, I'll tell you, when he, when he asked me to marry him, I was like, I will marry you if you just leave me the fuck alone. And that was really, <laughs> and he was like, okay. And that was, <laughs> deal. Deal. <laughs> He's deal. like, that's exactly what I want. This is going to work perfectly. So, yeah. So, I mean, we were, I had no business marrying that man. But for me, it was security, and I got all the stuff, and his nest was really feathered, and you know, I and so I'm really into program, and I'm, I we got married at a bar, we got married at the baked potato, and we did because our friend owned it, you know, and he's like, get married here, and we were like, yeah, we got married on the stage at the baked potato, and and um, you know, and it was fun, and that's cool, but you know, and then. Um, you know, and this is when I started having a lot of sponsees and, you know, I'm showing up at meetings in like different cars all the time. And, you know, I think I got it fucking going on. And this is when God loved me more than anybody else. This is when I thought, wow, man, I don't fucking get it. I don't get why people are relapsing. Look at all my stuff. And look at all the people that count on me to keep them sober. Me to keep them sober. And I'm never doing steps with them. And I'm bringing them up to my house and picking them up in the different cars. And like, you too can have all this if you just listen to me. And, you know, and then my ex-husband gets into that motorcycle accident. And uh, here's what happened. Um, a few years previous to that, I reconnected with Dominic through MySpace. And, um, and he and I reunited one weekend when I was with my ex-husband, we reunited, like he, he came, like we were on MySpace on the phone, you know, like, and, and we just mad, fell madly in love with each other. My, my son and I reunited and it was like fucking unbelievable. Like it felt like it filled in all of these pieces that were really broken. And I didn't even know how broken that they were. I had no clue that a lot of this was dealing with trauma of losing him. I didn't know. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know the trauma that they're dealing with when they're using and drinking. I think a lot of people that it doesn't, my opinion is this, is that trauma is a gateway drug. I think that there's so much trauma attached to um, drug and alcohol abuse and it goes so unaddressed that it's really sad. It's really, really sad that, that um, you know, it's not addressed more. So um, Dominic comes and we get together for the first time. And that's on a Thursday night. And then on a Friday night, um, we go to the car show over at Bob's Big Boy, you know, and, and my ex is riding his Harley and Dominic's in the Hummer with me. And we're like, yay, you know, and we show up and we have a couple burgers and, and we look at the cars. And then my ex-husband had to do some work. He had to stop and pick up some music, something, you know, like somewhere. And, and, um, and so Dominic and I go back to the house. And while we're on our way back, we get this call. And it's somebody saying, look, your husband was in an accident and it looks like he's going to be fine, but you should probably um, come down to this hospital. And I'm like, okay, I'm thinking he has a broken leg. No, he's in a fucking coma. He literally broke his whole body. So here I am on Thursday meeting my son for the first time. And then on Friday, my husband um, gets into this massive accident that is going to change our fucking lives completely. And it was really weird where here I was like really high because Dominic was there. And then I was like this frantic person because my husband was literally almost dying. And so um, I, I can't even explain that. I can't even explain that. Like, I don't know how shit like that happens, you know, like, and I was so confused, like what? And I remember looking at my sponsor going, what? 
Like I didn't, it was such a weird thing. So anyway, my husband stays in a coma for nine weeks and um, he works for this really famous musician and I'm not, she, she's really famous. And um, she is so cool to us. She calls me up and she's like, listen, you know what? We're gonna pay all your bills. Everything's gonna be fine. So that just let him get better, let him get better. And so he comes home finally, um, he can't walk, he's in a wheelchair. And I'm now, again, like I said at the beginning, not going to meetings. And I'm not sponsoring people because I need to stay home with my husband because anytime I try to leave the house, he's calling me every five minutes, you know, and I try to hire a nurse to help him just so I could go away and he's not fucking having it. And we get morphed into this weird fucking shit. And then, you know, so he's in a wheelchair, then he's on a walker and then he's on. And then as soon as that motherfucker could put on crutches, he's in the truck and he's gone and he's fucking scoring coke and his... Um, addiction just fucking just blows off the chart like I am and he's doing really stupid things where he's telling the person that he's working for he can't walk and now she finds out and she's like fuck you yeah and so now we have no money coming in and so th there's no money he's using I'm coming home and like you know pieces of art are gone you know and he's selling shit out of the house and you know, and like the motorcycles are disappearing and the cars are disappearing. And, um, uh, you know, and then one day he said about the fucking Vicodin, you know, and so he's doing coke. He's taking the Vicodin. They make me feel funny. And I'm like, you know what? They don't make me feel funny. Fuck you. I'm taking them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we had the big bottles too. They were the big fucking bottles, you know, and, and, uh, and they were everywhere. I could, when we ran out, I could just open a drawer and just like find them. They were everywhere. And, and uh, one day I walked into a studio and I threw a CD on his studio table and I said, you know what, give me a line because you're about to meet a monster. I can't fucking do it with you anymore. And um, so now I'm doing Coke, I'm doing, I'm drinking alcohol, I'm doing Vicodin. And because I'm nervous, you know, I'm doing benzos. And, um, you know, that went on for a while. And, um, uh, you know, we took, we went to Northern California. You know, we went to Sonoma and, um, you know, immediately find the CD underground. We go because he's got some connections. He's gonna produce movies. He's gonna be a big guy, you know? And I'm like, whatever, I'm just gonna follow him around because I don't even know how to live my life anymore. I'm using and drinking, I don't know how to live. You know, I, I don't know how to live and I expect this man who doesn't know how to live to take care of me. And um, again, we never should have gotten married, but we did. And now we got married so that we would stay away from each other and we're so fucking enmeshed because of this accident. And, and it, was, it was very sick. And this is another thing that happens. I don't know if it happens to people who are normies or whatever, but it happens to people who are addicts. They get so fucking enmeshed while they're drinking and using that it's like, it's hard to pull them apart. And um, so, you know, we went to Northern California and we lived in Sonoma proper, which another is like bougie area. And um, I don't know how he managed to fucking do it, but we always landed on our feet and we had a great house up there. And what do I do? I fucking start hanging out in the bars because he's back here half the time now. And I'm like, yes, he's gone. And so now I'm going to the local bars and I'm like meeting dudes like I'm single. And I'm, you know, it was fucking crazy, just insane. And I get two DUIs in a row. And um, he gets a girlfriend. And <laughs> I'm like, I don't get it, motherfucker. And, and so. Definitely <laughs> got the short end of that. Yeah, I get two DUIs and, you know. He and, gets a girlfriend. Yeah, he gets a girlfriend. <laughs> 
So, you know, and she had buyer's remorse within a year, you know. She was like, uh. <laughs> So I was like, told you. And, uh, no, I didn't tell her I wanted to fucking kill her. And yeah. so, anyway, I come back to California and I'm, uh, you know, I don't take care of the DUIs. And, again, those lovely warrants follow me around. And um, I come out here and I realize I, it's time for me to get sober. This episode has been brought to you by Transformations Care Residential Detox. Visit us online at transformationscare.com. I had had that little bit of gold all those years ago before I um, started getting my ego was in the way. I had that little bit of gold, that little bit of light, and I knew, I knew there was an existence outside of the life that I was living. I fucking knew that there would be some real happiness as terrified as I was. And so I, um, I didn't go into a sober living. I, I don't think I did. I don't, it's all very mishmashed. But I do know that I got sober for about a year, um, maybe two. And my ex and I weren't together, at, you know, I found that out, you know, that we were, <laughs> we were together. He was taking this woman around to our friends' homes, and I was like, oh, I guess we're broken up, you know? And, and so, <laughs> yeah, they were calling me going, Mona, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, what? So anyway, it doesn't matter because that's drug addiction. That's alcoholism. That's fucking, you know, my, my story isn't like this big major out of the fucking ordinary story. It's just a little funnier the way I tell it. There was a lot of heartbreak involved in it. And so I get this cute little place. I'm sober. I've, you know, I remember it was a studio apartment, and I remember it looking like a castle to me. I was working. I was paying my bills. I was sober. And, and life felt really fucking good. And um, then my son was killed in a motorcycle accident. And um, it took me six months to have a needle in my arm again, you know, just like before six months and then I stopped with the needle because I didn't like it I never liked the needle all that much you know and so I just again with the meth and the heroin and the uh, benzos and the alcohol and and I'm gonna say something about alcohol at all times there had to be alcohol running through my system at absolutely all times and everything else came after that I had to have everything else but alcohol was a must it took me exactly where I needed to go, and that was it. You know, the rest of the stuff I knew was sketchy, you know, but being the artist that I am, I would sit at home and have projects, you know. And so I'm, my son is dead. And um, that kind of pain, I, I didn't, when I see on the news and there's mothers that, you know, people think, look, like they're acting in some weird way when they find out their child is dying, they fall to their knees and you know, there's like, and they're screaming and they have to be held back. And that's what happens. That's what happens, you know? And, um, uh, you know, I went out to, um, Idaho and I planned my son's funeral and somehow I maneuvered through that. And I didn't, I don't know how you do that, you know, but here's the program at work. And, um, is that, I had a friend say, Mona, you take that 11-step prayer and you just fucking keep saying it and you go out there and you be of service. You don't sit and cry about, you, you don't 
get to do that right now. This is your son and you have to go out there and you have to be of service and you have to help everybody get through it. You need to be the matriarch at this point. And I was like, what? Okay. You know, and I went and did it and it was an extremely painful thing. And I came back home and, um, and then I, I started using, and I got hired at cry help and, um, <laughs> yeah. And then I, I got fired from there because I was completely out of my mind. I was, you know, yelling at people and, you know, these were young people the same age as my son and they were alive and my son was dead. My son was dead and he died with 12 days sober coming back from a fucking meeting. And here these people were destroying their lives and it's not like I didn't understand it but the anger and the rage was so fucking complete. Everything in me hated life and hate... Uh, I wasn't the person to go straight to sadness. I was angry, just fucking angry and and uh you know uh the kind of anger that people didn't even want to be near where i came walking in a room and you could just see people fucking and i didn't give one fuck i didn't give a fuck and so staying sober with that kind of anger unaddressed is a very difficult thing to do you know i relapsed and you know there were like some serious suicide attempts and one day i woke up and there was a fucking noose hanging over my bed and I don't know and I knew it wasn't sexy time I knew it wasn't like a sexy time noose you know I, I knew that something very dangerous had occurred and um <laughs> and you know you never know you never know what's gonna happen you know you bring up one time I woke up and I'm smoking crack with like this famous dude like a, I had no idea what the fuck was going on I come to him on my bed I'm naked and this famous person is sitting next to me and I go wait what are we smoking and he's like crack and I go oh and then I you know fucking black out blacked out again and this is how my, I, like it was so I was so completely the blackouts were like a normal thing for me all the time after that and um I, uh, and I end up living on a couch in my drug dealer's house and in uh, not just a couch, a couch in him and his wife's bedroom and I'm using, but they're like very concerned about my alcohol intake, you know? And they're like, you know, you, you drink a lot. And I'm like, yeah, okay, just give me the pipe, you know, and I'm fine. And you know, he's selling heroin and speed and everything else. And, and so I am like staying steady, but they were also criminals, like not just dealers. They were criminals. And as weird as it is, and I had my um, thing with the credit cards, I wasn't into robbing houses. I didn't know how to live that way. And I'm not judging anybody. But for me, I, I just couldn't bring myself to do any of that stuff. And I had to figure out how I fit in into this pirate ship. And I wasn't fitting in. And they knew I wasn't fitting in. And they, I was getting those looks and they wanted me to go. And I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to fucking go. I had like, you know, my, my friend who I do the podcast with, I left heroin in her bathroom and she had a nonprofit and she was like, we found heroin. Was it yours? And I go, no. And she goes, bullshit, you know? And so literally my brother, I'd gone to my brother's home and I fucking tore down my relationship with my brother. I tried to go to Arizona and, you know, I'd already lost my apartment. I you know, before I went to my drug dealer's house, I lost my apartment. The sheriff showed up. I sold. I had a beautiful Bronco. I sold that for 500 bucks. Painful. And, and so, but at the time it wasn't painful. At the time I'm like, I'm going to use this to do something positive. And I was like, something positive. You know, if I get <laughs> more heroin, I'll buy better vodka. <laughs> so stupid. But that's really how I thought. You know, it just, so 
Anyway, where was I? Oh, I'm at the drug dealer's house and they want me to go and I have nowhere to go. And at this point, I had never really faced homelessness. I mean, even though like a couch tour is homelessness, but I had never, ever in my life faced, I have nowhere to fucking go. Nowhere. It's not even an option. Nobody wants me in their fucking house. Nobody wants me around. I'm not, I'm not fitting in this pirate ship where I'm at, you know, and, um, so I, um, call my friend. She was the one who owned the very first sober living that I went to. And we remained friends through all of that. And uh, we were even roommates at one point when I very first got sober. And I called her and um, before I had relapsed this last time, I had helped her put together this um, uh, rehab that she has. I did all the office work. I helped her put together a system. We bought all the furniture. And then I relapsed, tried to kill myself, and she wouldn't let me work for her anymore. And then <laughs> I called her, and I said, listen, um, oh, we gotten into a fight somewhere along the way. And I said, listen, um, I know you're mad at me, but we have to fight another time because I'm dying. And she came and got me at my drug dealer's house. I had a bag, and she came and got me, and... Um, I went to her house first and she wanted to, um, I stayed at her house for three days before I went up into the rehab and she gave me three Vicodins and she said, fucking, this is what you get, sweat it out. And of course me, I took them all at once. And then the next two days were a fucking nightmare and, you know, in and out of the shower, you know, just like the steam and the heat and the, you know, the whole thing, you know, and then I went to rehab. I went up to this very shishi rehab and and I only say that because that's not really where I come from but it's exactly what the universe it's what I needed I needed gentleness and I needed kindness I never would have fit into a place like cry help I would have been I would have kicked someone's ass you know and I was so broken I was so much more broken than I knew that I was I was I was so torn apart and I didn't know, I didn't know how fucked up I really was. All I thought was I'm dying because of drug addiction. And somebody said to me, Mona, you've got so much, and this was when I was out there, I went to a friend's house and he said, Mona, he said, you really need to deal with your trauma. And I said, what trauma? And he just said, oh, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like I was that removed, you know, like I didn't look at my son like, like my son had died, like that was trauma. Like I had lived this childhood, like that was trauma. Like. You know, I flinched whenever people came near me and I didn't know that that was trauma. You know, I, I thought, okay, well, I flinch. Well, of course I flinch. You know, of course I flinch. You know, I've been hit all my life. So, you know, and it wasn't like, of course I flinch. It was like, because I'm ready to fight. You know, because I'm ready. I'm ready to fight. So there was something tough about it, you know. And so I go to the rehab and I'm completely out of my mind. And I'm going to tell you what I did there. Okay, so they had a, a whiteboard that was supposed to be out so that we knew exactly what we were doing, you know, and I get up in the morning and I go, the whiteboard, if it wasn't done the night before, I would be like, you motherfuckers, you need to do this whiteboard. How do I know what I'm doing? Give me the pen and give me the schedule. And I race everything and I do the schedule. And they would be like, okay, Mona, everything went down at the rehab, like in the living room. And they'd be like, okay. And they would just guide me into the living room and sit me down. And I would sit there all day and it would be like, fuck it. I was completely, <laughs> completely crazy. And I needed a place like that because they put up with me. 
no, no other place would have put up with me. They would have been like, you know, get the fuck out. And, and, and they might have put up with me more because I was the owner's friend. That <laughs> might have been it. Like, not just friend. We were really good friends. And so then um, uh, they would ask me to go to meetings one time. They knocked on my door and they're like, you know, we're going to a meeting. And I said, oh, fuck, if I am, I need one hour to get ready for a meeting. You must tell me ahead of time. And they were like, okay. And they left. And the next day, an hour before they left... Mona, we're leaving for a meeting in an hour, you know, and I got, <laughs> this is how I was treated, and I needed that, and as, as horrible as that sounds, I needed that. I needed somebody to allow my crazy and to be gentle with me and not force me into anything because it was all so much, like my eyes were always, you know, fucking in my head shaking. I was always, you know, like confused and the run I had been on had fucked up my mind so much I couldn't even form sentences really for like a week you know and I didn't sleep for like two weeks I was nuts and I don't think unless you're a drug addict that just gets into recovery at the very beginning that you even know you can't describe that kind of crazy where it's frightening and you're nuts and but the therapy that I, I got therapy I got I got therapy five days a week. I had a therapist. I had um, a grief counselor three days a week. I had um, a trauma counselor to deal with my PTSD. And I had um, a psychiatrist. And this was, this was round the clock between all the groups that I, I did. And I was inpatient for three months. And then I, um, I, I had nothing else going on. It wasn't like, well, you know, how am I going to do this? Like, you know, like I had no, and, and they let me bring my dog. I had nothing else going on. So, um, I, uh, and then I went to sober living for six months and, um, you know, I, I didn't, um, and I stayed sober and I got a sponsor and I, uh, I did exactly what we're supposed to do. I got, I worked the steps and I took it very seriously and I knew that this was it. I was 50 years, 50, two years old. I'm, I have five years now. I was 52 years old and I had this, I didn't want to be that old chick at the bar that's sitting at the end smoking a cigarette. Like I fucked everybody in that bar. Like I, I'm jealous every time a new woman walks in, you know, and, and you know, I have the high score on the video games and I just didn't want to be that chick, but I knew that's who I was going to be because I didn't think I'd die. I thought that was going to be my life, you know, and. And, um, and that sounds funny, but it was really like, as w whatever it is that we're afraid to be, that's, that was one of the things that I was really, I, really afraid to be. And um, so I just, I just dove in, man. I started working steps. I, um, uh, I, I took my sponsor very seriously. I was scared and I was desperate and I, um, I was done, man. I was exhausted and I was done. And I was willing, I mean, with the exception of them not giving me an hour to <laughs> get ready for a meeting, I was willing to do whatever the fuck, you know, and... Um, as long as it was written on the board. As long as it was written on the board. <laughs> and, and uh, you know... crazy world. Nothing, yeah. Yeah, then I was willing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, in the end, I was diagnosed with, um, uh, with severe PTSD mm -hmm. and, um, I managed to work through that and, you know, with some medication, I got outside help and, um, also with severe depression with suicidal, um, ideations and I got medication for that. And, um, 
and it works beautifully for me. And, and, um, I don't live like, like, and, and I, I don't live a life where I don't know where I'm going to be in the morning. And, and I take my sobriety very fucking seriously. And if anything tries to come between me and my sobriety, it's got to fucking go. And it's not a joke for me. And I have no qualms about fucking telling anybody. Well, I don't have any qualms really about telling people if they annoy me at all. No, you but, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. But um, maybe I'm a little too outspoken. But, but um, you know, I, I've worked my steps and I've done the serious work. And I've done a serious fourth step. And I have a beautiful sponsor who who taught me how to not be angry anymore because I was so angry in that first year. And, and I learned how to not be angry all the time that it's not, you know, like I don't need to jump into somebody's face, you know, like right away. And that was a foreign concept for me too. And, um, cause I came from so much anger and I learned how to go inside myself and be kind and be giving and, um, and not in a way of like, well, I want something from you just to give, just to be kind, just to help another person, um, you know, through this and just to be understanding and not be cruel and, um, you know, be as kind to any person as I have been to my animals all these years. And I know that sounds weird, but like I could hold my animals and love them. And everybody else was scary to me, but now I can do it with people as well. And, um, so that was five years ago and, um, you know, now I take women through the book and it's one of the greatest joys that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, from my son, I got, uh, he had four beautiful children mm-hmm. and, um, I am, have a great granddaughter today and, um, uh, I'm going to meet her on Thursday. Yes. And, uh, so we have a new baby in our family and a new baby who's never going to know me out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm young enough to be able to enjoy her and have her remember me. And I'm going to see my grandsons for the first time in many years um, in a couple in a week. And, um, you know, I, I've built beautiful friendships and relationships that are real. It's real. Mm-hmm. And there's none of this, you know, and even in AA, I've found that there's fast friends. And that doesn't interest me in any way because there were, I was fast friends. You know how you get high with somebody and suddenly you're their best friend? Yes. You're their best friend and until the dope runs out. And then, you know, like, you you know, and it happens. I don't know if it happens with men a lot. It happens with women a lot. You're my girl, you know. And, and so I ne- that always turned me off about AA. But I see how it works with people. I understand why that works with people. But I've always been such a loner that I'm not going to hang out with you just because what? I've managed the friendships that I've managed to make in AA are, are solid and good. My life today is, um, you know, I've got this great little apartment. I mean, COVID's been really fucking weird for, you know, because I've worked, uh, you know, and I haven't been able to work for the last year and it's been a motherfucker. But, um, you know, I, I have this beautiful little apartment. I have my animals. I have less than I've ever had in my entire life except when I was almost being homeless, you know what I mean? And, but it's like, again, like a castle to me. And it's my serenity and it's my place. And, and it's, um, and I don't mean that in a selfish way, but I, I'm able to look at it and go, Jesus Christ, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. Not just to be alive, but to be grateful. I'm blessed to be able to be grateful. I'm blessed to have these tools in front of me. I'm blessed to be able to 
uh, get up and actually do my meditation in the morning and actually pray in the morning and actually do the reading and call my sponsor and call a couple friends and have my sponsor call me and go out and do shit and you know come here when I, when I do and and um, and just be helpful you know I spent so many years not being helpful and it feels so fucking good that I almost feel selfish and um, so that was five years ago and I've been sober since January 1st 2016 and um, again not because I made a, a, a resolution but because I was dying on uh, December 29th 2015 and um, that's pretty much it yeah that all you got? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, wait, do, wait, no, there's good, no, yeah, really, that's pretty much it. Like, I'm really blessed. So I'm, over the last year since you haven't been, you said that you haven't been working because of the COVID, yeah. but I call bullshit. You're always working. You're always hustling. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I am. I'm always hustling. Yeah, I'm just talking about a job. I actually like waiting tables, you guys. I like waiting tables. I love being a coffee shop waitress. Mm -hmm. I love like having regulars come in and I'm just that chick and they want to see me. And, you know, like a movie. I really yeah. feel like, you know, like I'm this coffee shop waitress who has this dark past and, <laughs> and you know, like some movie and like they don't know, but you know, I had a fucking, you know, when I ran their credit cards, I'd have fucking been writing down the shit. And yeah, you know, like I like being a coffee shop waitress. There's something sexy about it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, all the restaurants have closed down, but I do have an eBay store and I do, um, yeah, I do hustle. I do hustle. So, yeah. I just can't believe they haven't made a movie about the mom in Boulder, Colorado having <laughs> her daughter and her little daughter's game selling so fucking cocaine. Well, I, don't, I think that's not as unusual. <laughs> but that needs to be a movie yeah. with the, child, the children's books and the Look. video box. <laughs> so Fuck yeah. I've been sober for a minute and uh -huh. I talked to a lot of alcoholics and addicts yeah. and only one other time have I heard anybody talking about importing in the children's books. This is really? The you heard of somebody? Yeah. yeah, because it's effective. It's, a, it's, it's effective because people don't think about it. It's effective. <laughs> right up until it's not. Then it's really not right effective. Until there's some undercover contact. <laughs> yeah. Look at that old guy out. checking me out. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Fucking perv. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, there. You have been listening to the Transformations Recovery Podcast with host Roman Cooper. This episode has been brought to you by Transformations Care Residential Detox. Look us up at transformationscare.com or call us at 424-340-9267. Transformations Recovery Podcast was produced and edited by Sammy Town and Annalisa Cheshire. We would like to thank our guests and everyone who has helped us out along the way.
We love you, Annalisa. Yes, we do. <laughs> if they love you, I love you. Here, here's the sound effect, Annalisa. They, not in the weird, sexy way that they do. <laughs> <laughs> we love you too, Sammy. Don't worry. Okay. I'd love the shit out of Sammy. What are you talking about? Hey.